Welcome to the Lake Point Church Weekend Messages Podcast. Thanks for joining us to hear the latest sermons happening at our church. We pray that God speaks to you in a timely way through this message. And if you're encouraged by this podcast, be sure to rate, review, and share it to help get the word out. You can find more digital content to feed your faith and our other podcasts by visiting lakepoint.church/digital. Now, let's tune into the message for today. Morning, uh, Lake Point family, and Merry Christmas to you. It's really good to see you guys. And if you guys got your Bibles, head over to John chapter 8. That's going to be today. Um, hey, while you're turning there, um, I want to do something. We need to celebrate something in life, our church. I think we got, we still back here. Yep, you're still back here. Okay. All right, here, here's what's happening. Uh, let me catch you guys up on something I've been waiting to announce uh, kind of excitedly. Um, so as a lot of you guys know, we've been in this uh, season for the last like eight weeks at Lake Point, um, pressing towards an initiative that we've been calling More Than Us. And that's a resource initiative um, that we really undertook, uh, the, really the largest one we've ever done, in, I, I think, in our church's history, um, to raise the resources necessary to press into some, some kingdom initiatives that we feel called to above kind of our normal ministry, planting churches, expanding campuses, training leaders over the next years. And, uh, and we set a, a pretty significant goal. The goal of this initiative was uh, $15 million above our normal giving over the course of the next three years. And uh, just to let you guys know, like historically what we do is we set a really high goal and we don't quite reach it. And, um, but the generosity of the people of Lake Point over the next three years kind of exceeds kind of, you know, commitments, that kind of thing. And, and so we kind of catch it on the back end. Um, so uh, would you guys like to hear an update of where we stand with more than us? Would you guys like to hear that? Okay. All right. Here, here's where we are. All right. So here we go. Okay. Now I got drummers back here. He's going to do drum roll, but everybody get this camera right here. This camera right here. This is, there we go. Okay. Everybody at every campus, give me a drum roll, drum roll, drum roll. Okay. Drum roll back here. Give it to me. As of today, with a few more weeks left in the year to receive gifts and commitments, we currently stand at. $15.4 million. That's right, man. Yeah. Seriously, I'm mean, just absolutely unbelievable. Great job, by the way. Good job, bro. Uh, and seriously, just absolutely overwhelmed by the generosity of our people. I just, my family is very invested with you. And uh, we are just, honestly, man, I'm just proud. I'm just really, really proud of our church. And so just thank you. You know, I know there's a lot of you who you might still be in that spot where your family's been praying, ah, do we want to be a part of that? What's that look like? And I just want you to know, like, don't hold off just because, like, of, of where we are. The more you give, the more churches we plant, the more leaders we trade, it just accelerates what we do. And so you can do that just by visiting lakepoint.church slash more than us, and uh, you can give there. And so that's amazing. Just want to celebrate that. I also just, that's got a little scattered uh, back end applause there. I also just want to say this, like quick update. You guys know we've got candlelight service coming up in a few weeks. Now, right now, I, I need to have like a house meeting with people who call themselves part of the Lake Point family. Lake Point family, you know those three days across all of our campuses, they're going to be absolute bananas, like insane, okay? So here's what I'm asking you to do. 
in order to save lost people, Jesus left heaven and came to earth. He gave up his seat in heaven to get here. I, you, some of you can see where I'm going, okay? I, I am asking you, people of Lake Point, if you call Lake Point your home and can do it, I am asking you not to RSVP for the services that are on Christmas Eve. Come to any of the other services the few days before. Now, I know we got a couple campuses. You only have Christmas Eve services. You get a pass. All you people here at Rockwall, you can go to those campuses wherever you need to do, okay? But I am just asking you, we don't, those, the Christmas Eve services are the ones where people who don't know God, our guests, are most likely to come. And we don't want them to go online. By the way, if you go today, visit Christmas to start RSVPing, you're going to notice, whoa, those things are already filling up. So like do that. And then if you can, like, get, you know, kind of make space on those Christmas Eve services uh, for people who don't know God. We good with that? We good? Yeah, we're kind of like, ah, I don't know if I'm good with that. Okay. Okay. <clears throat> All right. Here's where we are today. We are starting a Christmas series and I got to move. The title of the series is He Shall Be Called. And it comes from a verse in Isaiah, Christmas Prophecy where the prophet just said this. He said, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and he shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And what we're doing during this series is we're taking one week on, on each of those four things. What does it mean for Jesus to be a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, an everlasting father, and a prince of peace, okay? And today, I'm hitting Wonderful Counselor, and we're going to start by talking about the devil. Merry Christmas, okay? Now, l- let me do this. <clears throat> so uh, let me, let me kind of uh, lead into it like this. So I ran across a book uh, by a guy named Dan Ariely. It's called The Honest Truth About Dishonesty, How We Lie to Everyone, Especially Ourselves. Um, and in, in this book, it's really fascinating. He gives like statistical evidence of what we all know, that everyone is just constantly lying, like just constantly lying all the time. And he gives one example that I hope you can't relate to. And I'm going to read it. This is what he says. He says, over the course of many years of teaching, I've noticed there typically seems to be a rash of death among students' relatives at the end of the semester. It happens mostly in the week before final exams and before papers are due. Now, guess which relative dies most often? Anybody know? Grandma. It's grandma, not that any of you have ever done this, of course. He says, I'm not making this stuff up. Mike Adams, a professor at Eastern Connecticut State University, actually did research on this. He's shown that grandmothers are 10 times more likely to die before a midterm and 19 times more likely to die before a final exam. Worse, check this out, grandmothers of students who are not doing well in class, even higher risk even higher risk. Students who are failing are 50 times more likely to lose grandma than non-failing students. So he concludes with this amazing line. It turns out that the greatest predictor of mortality among senior citizens in the U.S. ends up being their grandchildren's GPAs. That's amazing, okay? Now, let me ask you this question. Why is it that we are in a world that is just constantly, you know, it's like fake news, alternative facts, everybody's lying all the time. Why are we in this world that's just inundated with falsehood? What is it doing to you? And how do you get free from that? This is what Jesus is talking about in John chapter 8, okay? Now, we're, heads up, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk through like this, this text really fast. We're going to wring it out like a, like, a, like a wet sponge here. 
Okay, now you got to track with me because we're dropping down right into the middle like this little theological debate between Jesus and some really grouchy religious dudes called the Pharisees. Okay, dropping right in the middle. So pick up with me now really quick. Let me give a quick caveat. In about 30 seconds, I'm going to use a word you're not used to hearing from, a, from like a Christian pulpit. Just, I'm going to explain it here in a second. Just understand, I am trying to give you the most accurate representation of this, this text. And there's a reason I'm saying it. So just track with me, okay? Now, <clears throat> this is what it says. John 8, pick up with me in verse 31. To the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. That's, that's the mark of a disciple. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Now pause and ask this question. How in the world could the truth be something that sets you free? Like, how does that follow? What's the moral logic of that? I'm going to answer that question here in a second. They answered, we are Abraham's descendants and we have never been slaves of anyone, which is really fascinating. It's like, bro, did you forget the entire book of Exodus? Like, like what happened? Okay, something happened. Abraham is our father, they answered. Jesus says, if you were Abraham's children, then you would do what Abraham did. And Abraham was the person of faith in the Old Testament. As it is, you're looking for a way to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. You are doing the works of your own father. And then it's like, ba 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 ba. Okay, what does that mean, your own father? Now, this is, I warned you about this. Most of your Bibles, this next verse say, says that the Pharisees retort to Jesus, we are not illegitimate children. Now, before I expl explain this real quick, okay, brace yourselves. You got to remember this all because Jesus was, uh, uh, the, the, because of the virgin birth, Jesus and all of his brothers, everybody that knew Jesus was walking around and being like, guys, Jesus was born to Mary and she was a virgin. She had never slept with Joseph. So he had a biological mom, but Joseph was just his adoptive father. So that, that's what was true. But all the people who hated Jesus made up these stories that actually Jesus was conceived illegitimately. So most of your Bibles, because translators like to sanitize it, they're like, ah, what's actually there is a little rough. Most of your Bibles say that they say to Jesus, we are not illegitimate children. Some of the Bibles in your laps, a more accurate translations is they said to Jesus, we're not bastards like you. Aggressive. They protested. The only father we have is God himself. Verse 42, Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me for I have come here from God. You belong to your father, the devil. Fascinating. And you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and he is the father of lies. Now, if it doesn't make sense, you may be like, Josh, why are you talking about this in a Christmas series? Okay, just track. There's a reason for this. In this passage, Jesus just goes right to the heart of the matter and, and he starts talking about the devil. And let me just be really honest. There are three facts that we get about the reality of the devil straight from Jesus here. Okay, number one, fact number one about the devil, according to Jesus, there is a devil. There is a devil. Now listen, if you're like not a Christian, you're like kind of kicking the tires on this faith thing and you're like, ah, you're like, oh man, you may be going, Josh, this is pre-modern, it's naive, it's superstitious. <clears throat> and you may be going, man, now Josh, we know better. Like it's just illogical to believe in like a devil. That's just illogical. Can I just point, let me just do some logic with you really quick, okay? 
95%, actually it's more like 96% of the world, 96% of the world believes in some form of God or supernatural good. Okay, So 95% of the world believes in personified supernatural good. Okay, If it's logical to believe in personified supernatural good, why is it illogical to believe in personified supernatural evil? It's not. It's not. And so Jesus just flat out, he just says, there is a devil. In fact, three times in Jesus' teaching, he calls the devil, quote, the prince of this world. When he says the prince of this world, he uses the Greek word archon. That's a political term referring to the highest ranking Roman official in a region. So track with me. Jesus is saying that this creature, the devil, is the most powerful and influential creature in the world. For you Bible scholars, can I just point something out to you? You remember when Jesus is being tempted by the devil in the wilderness? And the devil comes to Jesus and, quote, offers him all the kingdoms of the world as if they are his to offer. Have you ever noticed Jesus did not disagree with him? Jesus acknowledges that this devil is the most powerful, influential creature in the world. So number one, there is a devil. Fact number two, the devil's end goal is to spread death. Jesus just says it very plainly. He was a murderer from the beginning. Have you ever heard somebody say this before? They'll say, uh, Christians will say, hey, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. That's true. Here's what's also true. The devil hates you and he has a lethal plan for your death. That's true too. Okay, here's a lie. A lie that some of you have been told by people standing in Christian pulpits with Bibles open while they're preaching. Here's the lie. Becoming a Christian is the ticket to a low-maintenance, hassle-free life. That's a lie. That is a lie. Here's the truth. When you become a Christian, you didn't just gain God as your father. You gained the devil as your enemy. I heard somebody say it like this one time. They said, the birthmark of a believer is a bullseye. Let me just say it really straightforward for you. We don't follow Jesus because he makes life better. We follow Jesus because he is better than life. That's what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. So listen, this is why the devil's end goal is death. This is why life feels like such a battle. In fact, the Greek word Jesus used for devil here, it's the Greek word diabolos. It can either either be translated to slander or to accuse. This is one of many names Jesus in the New Testament uses for this creature. Now, let me, let me point some out to you. Again, just track with me for you Bible scholars. The New Testament uses all these titles for this creature. Uh, look for the common denominator. It calls him the Satan, the evil one, the tempter, the destroyer, the deceiver, the great dragon that deceives the whole world, and the ancient serpent who leads the whole world astray. Now, did you notice something? In every example, those are titles, not names. Now, some Bible scholars say, hey, that's, that's like a subtle dig. It's like a, a put down, like, ah, I'm not, I'm not even going to say, I'm going to keep your name out my mouth, okay? But, but watch this. Some Bible scholars say that actually what's happening is it's a view of how dangerous Jesus views this creature to be. It's Jesus' equivalent of he who must not be named, Now, according to Jesus, this creature is not some like fictional Harry Potter character. According to Jesus, this is the most dangerous creature that has ever existed, which leads me to number three. Okay, so how is he dangerous? According to Jesus, fact number three, the devil's weapon is lies. 
Jesus says when he speaks, when he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and he is the father of lies. Now, really quick, what this means is that we need a lot of us to reframe how we think about the concept of spiritual warfare. A lot of us, when we think spiritual warfare, we get like visions of like demonization and like little kids with their heads twisting around and climbing on ceilings and vomiting all over the place. Okay, that's not... Now listen, there are examples of demonization in the New Testament. That's, that's like a thing. But according to Jesus, the primary way spiritual warfare happens is through lies. Think about this. When Satan approached Eve to destroy humanity in the Garden of Eden, watch this. He did not come with an AK-47. He came with an idea, a lie. You will not surely die. Okay, now... Even notice this. Notice in John 8, 32, one of the most famous uh, sayings Jesus ever issued. Then you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now, let me, I, I told you I was going to answer this question, okay? How in the world is the truth something that, quote, sets you free? The truth sets you free if you've been enslaved by a lie. That's how that works. Okay, now, um, if you're uh, maybe new here and you're going like, okay, uh, that didn't make any sense. How's that work? Okay, let me, let me explain this real quick. So um, if you're new, um, I've got three children, Eliana, Felicity, Hudson, 10, 7. Felicity just had a birthday this week and two, okay? Now, Hudson, um, our youngest, you've heard it. He's a master of disaster. Guys, you just need to know, it doesn't matter what Twitter says, boys are different than girls. You just need to know that, okay? So j- just check this out. Our, our thing about Hudson is wherever he is, he wants to be somewhere else. That's Hudson. So case in point, this is a, a family picture that we took that you know, almost drove me to alcohol taking these family pictures. So th- this is us taking family pictures. And you may look at this picture, you may be like, well, you said you had three kids. Where's Hudson? Well, let me zoom out. This was the best picture we could actually get. That, you see it? That's the best picture, for real. That's like the best. We are literally framing that at our house. It's the best one we could get, okay? So wherever he is, he wants to be somewhere else. So what we do, and all of you like very rigid, disciplined, you know, parents, you're about to judge me. Listen, let me just tell you now, I don't care. Okay, let me just get ahead of it. Uh, What Jan and I do for the sake of our sanity is when we have brought our three children home, they're all adopted. The first thing we do as soon as they're old enough is we sleep train. That's the first thing. So like you go down at eight and then guess when you can get up? Like eight. That's when, that's it. You can come out of your room at eight. And so it's like, we work really hard to train. You know, we got the camera and, you know, don't freak out on me. We got all this stuff going on. They're safe, okay? That's the first thing, thing, thing we do. Now, some of you may hear that and right now you're like, had this inner rage welling up and you're like, oh man, that's mean. No, no, no. Do, do you know what's mean? Sleep deprived parents are mean. That's what's mean. So like, I'm, this is for the good of my kids, okay? So, um, all right, let me, let me get back to this. So <clears throat> what we did, because Hudson, as soon as he was old enough, like escape artist, he was out of his room constantly, no matter how hard we train. So we had to get one of those little child protective things for the, uh, the doorknob on his door. So he eventually, once we put that on, he realized real quick, oh, I can't, I literally can't get out. And so we'd watch him on the camera and he'd just sit there, he'd play with his toys till eight, we'd come and get him, everything was fine, okay? Well, here's what, we, we just, this week, we moved into a new house, actually about two weeks ago, and Hudson's room in the new house, it didn't have a doorknob, it had a handle. <laughs> have you ever seen Jurassic Park? There's that moment where like the velociraptor learns to open the, you know that thing? So like, <laughs> this is what we're envisioning. So we move into the new house and uh, a really interesting thing happened is 
Hudson, since the day we moved into the new house, has never even tried to come out of his room. Because in the old house, he learned that he can't. So now he's moved to this new house, and even though he totally could, he has a false belief, I can't open the door, so he never tries. Now, now track with me, I'm about to preach, okay? Now, now watch. He's locked in his room, but the only thing keeping him in there is a false idea. And if any of you tell him, I will kill you. <laughs> I will kill you, okay? Now listen, some of you, here's your reality. Some of your reality is you are locked in a prison and the only lock on the door is a lie you're believing. That's it. It's the only thing. Okay. Now, you might hear that and you may be like, man, that, like Josh said, that didn't like really make any sense to me. Let me, how, how's that actually work? Okay, let me, um, this is, I do this when I get vulnerable. Okay, so like, let me open up the window to my personal thought life and show you my crazy. Um, I think that if you could see like the inner workings of my mind, I, I really think some of you would go, that guy's insane. Um, when I look at like my life, what God's called me to do, even parenting, all this stuff, like my mind is immediately filled. I call them, um, I call them two thoughts. Um, things like, man, you're too emotional. If you're just a little more steady, everything will be fine. But Josh, you're too emotional. You'll never be able to. Um, you're too insecure. That's a big one. Um, you're too messed up. There's no way. There's no way you could do that. You're, you're too messed up. Or if it's not two thoughts, there are enough thoughts. Um, things like, you're not, you're not talented enough. You could never do that. Um, you're not, this is a big one. You're not godly enough. You're not God. Who do you think you are? You're not godly enough. Uh, you're not smart enough. Uh, for the first two years I was here, you're not Steve enough. <laughs> two thoughts, enough thoughts. By, by the way, I just show, show of hands. How many of you guys have thoughts like that? Two thoughts or enough thoughts? How many of you guys have thoughts like, okay, yeah, everybody look around. Okay, that's awesome. Um, actually, whoa, whoa, put them back up. Put them back up real high, real high. Every camp, everybody look around. Everybody look around. Everybody look around. Okay. Okay, now look at the people with their hands down and pray for their pride. Will you do that? <laughs> Please pray for those, but they got issues. Those people got issues. Okay, pray, pray for them. Um, and then, like, what I've noticed is it's, it's real weird. You may notice the same thing. I've noticed when stuff's going well in my life, I always have this thought, like, it won't last. And then as soon as stuff starts going bad, the thought comes in, it's always going to be this way. And, and, like, I used to think that I was the only person that had these thoughts and then, like, I reached this spot in my life where I started, like, hanging out with people, like, at the top of their game. Like, CEOs of large companies or discipling people who are, like, leading, you know, really impressive endeavors. Or, you know, hanging out with people who have a background in professional athletics. Like, people at the top of their game. Pastors in the largest church in the world. And what I, find it, what I started finding out is, like, every person you meet has those exact same thoughts. Now, um, why... Does Jesus say that these thoughts, like deceptions in our mind, 
are something that can enslave us. Why does he say that? Okay, let me show you. Let me get this out of the way. I need, I need you all to visualize something. Um, it's possible for you to end up in a prison without bars. Okay, because <clears throat> here's how this works, okay? Locked in a prison, only, only a lock on the door is a lie. Here's how this works. Some of you, here's your life, okay? Let's say this is the lane of your calling. And let's say like you are, let's say your age, you just clicked over to the 50s or 60s or 70s, maybe 80s around the corner. And there's this new thought you've got in your head. You've got like ideas, hopes, dreams, callings on your life. But there's this new thought that's getting in your head where you're like, man, I think, um, I think, I think I missed my chance. Maybe I'm too old. There's this old dead theologian, a guy named J.C. Ryle. He said, Satan, when you're young, you're too young to serve God. Satan, when you're old, is too late to make a difference. And so now you've got this thing in your head and all it is is a thought, but you start to believe it. I'm too old to make a difference. And that thought, the foothold becomes a stronghold when you believe it. So you start believing that lie and all of a sudden, boom, there's a prison bar blocking you from a calling and the only lock on the door is a lie you're believing. So now I'm blocked from that. Now let's go over here. Some of you with your friendships, there's this thing that you believe in your head. Here's what you believe. What you believe is you've got this one part of your life and you're like, man, if anybody ever found out this about me, they would definitely reject me. And so you spend your whole life, here's what your relationships feel like. They feel like you're doing this. Back and come. They feel like you're doing this. Because you keep, you'll, you'll reveal 99% of your life to somebody, but you'll hide that 1% and you need to know this. If you are 99% known, you are 100% unknown. And so your whole life, you stop, you keep yourself from entering into like life-giving, godly relationships, spiritual vibrancy, all this stuff, because you believe that. If anybody knew this about me, they would certainly reject me. And so you believe it, so that foothold becomes a stronghold, and now there's a second bar. Now I can't step into my calling, and I can't step into friendships. Now let's do your relationship with God. Some of you, because of, listen, in that passage— the dudes who were spreading the lies were the religious leaders of that day. Listen, just because somebody sells millions of books and opens a Bible does not mean what they're saying is true. That does not mean, so listen, watch this. So some of you, because of some bad Bible teacher that is being used by the devil we have just finished talking about. You, some point in your life, you picked up on this idea. God is angry with me, disappointed with me, and disgusted with me. Rather than the belief in the gospel, like, man, I am more sinful than I ever dared believe, but I am more loved by God than I ever dare hope. So, so, so listen, so you start to believe that. God is angry with me, disgusted with me, disappointed with me. And because you believed it, the foothold became a stronghold, new prison bar. Now I can't step into my calling. I can't step into relationships. I can't even step into a relationship with God. And then some of you, you've got a fourth bar. It's like, let's do, uh, maybe you're dating. And because of something that happened to you when you, you were young, you develop this belief like, man, I'm trash. And because you believe you're trash, you date people who treat you like trash. And so you can't, you'll see like a good godly woman or a good godly guy. They will actually want to spend time with you, but you won't step into that relationship because you believe I'm trash. So that foothold became a stronghold prison bar. Now watch what happened. I can't step into my calling. I can't step into my relationship with God. I can't step into this. I can't step into any of these things. And now what happened is you are locked in a prison without bars. 
And Jesus said this, if you're locked in a prison without bars, here's what you need. You need to know the truth because only the truth can set you free. That's what he's saying. The truth sets you free if you've been enslaved by a lie. Now listen, I want to get really practical. I'm going to land the plane in this sermon and get really practical. A drowning person doesn't need to know the Greek word for life jacket. They just need you to throw them one. Let me get really practical. How do we experience, let me, okay, let me make sure I get this in. This is, this, the whole sermon doesn't make sense if I don't say this sentence, okay? Wonderful counselor. So why did Jesus come, when God came to earth, why did he come as, quote, a rabbi, a teacher? Is this starting to make sense? Put the logic together. Here's why. He came, he did not come as a powerful general or a political thing, but as a wonderful counselor because we've been enslaved by lies. When you're enslaved by lies, what sets you free is a wonderful counselor. So listen, how do we experience Jesus as a wonderful counselor? Well, guys, we've got to be saturated in the thing that Jesus was saturated in. Jesus was saturated with the word of God. Jesus was absolutely obsessed with the Bible. He was saturated with it. He would teach it, obey it, live it, bleed it, quote it all the time. Th think about how obsessed Jesus was with the Bible. Just for a second, I, I need you to get this part of the message. Think about Jesus' obsession with the Bible. When Jesus is on the cross, he is at the precipice of his death. What is he doing? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's quoting a psalm. Jesus is getting ready to die. He's quoting scripture. Let me just be real honest with you. Listen, if I'm getting ready to die, guess what I'm probably not is naturally flowing out of me. Like this week, I started a fire in an outdoor fireplace at our, at our new house, first one. As soon as I started it, massive wasp nest just, and all these wasps start flying out. Can I be really honest with you? It was not scripture that just naturally jumped to my lips. <laughs> like unpastoral words, just they found their way to, you know, it's like, but Jesus pierced Jesus and he bleeds Bible. Jesus was obsessed with the scriptures. He, listen, he said things like the Holy Spirit spoke through the mouth of David and he quoted the Psalms. He said, God said, and he quoted Moses. He said things like the scripture cannot be broken. Not one dot of an I nor cross of a T will be broken until all these things are accomplished. Listen to this. And then God raised Jesus from the dead as God's vindication of Jesus' teachings as reality. God looked at me and went, hey, that guy that's obsessed with the scripture, that's the one I'm raising from the dead. Believe everything that he says. Let me just clarify some logic for you for a second. If you're like struggling with like some issues of faith, let me clarify something for you. We do not primarily trust in Jesus because of the Bible. That's circular reasoning, okay? We trust in the Bible because of Jesus. See, see this is how this works. We do that because there was a man... There, we do this because there was a man who believed, loved, quoted, taught, embraced the scriptures, and then he died, and three days later, he came back from the dead after saying things that no one had ever said, offering a vision of life that was without parallel in human history, and then he came back from the dead, and he taught the Bible, and he loved the Bible, and he lived the Bible, and so listen, we're here as followers of Jesus, and we're like, listen, I got questions. There's some stuff I don't understand, but that guy that got raised from the dead was all in on it. Okay, it's like, okay, I'm in. 
I'm in. Like, that's how we, that's our logic here. So let me just kind of, let me land the plane like this. How do we experience Jesus as our wonderful counselor to get free from these things? We have to interact with the Bible in three very practical ways. Real briefly, number one, authoritatively. Authoritatively. Can I just say something like, may, may be hard for you to hear? Some of you are in a spot in your life where you refuse to believe anything you don't like. And listen, just because you don't like something doesn't mean it isn't true. Right after Thanksgiving, I stepped on the scale. Two things happened. I didn't like it. It was still true. <laughs> just because you don't like something doesn't mean it isn't true. What does 2 Corinthians 10.5 say? It says this. Listen to the language. We demolish arguments, lies, and every pretension deception that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we, listen to this language, we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Listen, what, what this passage is saying is it's saying flip the captivity. You have been held captive by lies. It's saying stop doing that. You take them captive. And you guys know what happens when you treat, like, you know, it's saying treat lies like a war criminal. Do you guys know what you do when you capture a war criminal? I, I've never seen it like in person, but I did watch the TV show 24. Okay, okay. So here's what you do. Every season 24, there's a mole, war criminal. And here's what a mole is. It's somebody that's on the inside, that's working for the outside. You think they're working for you. They're actually working against you. Okay? And they always capture them. And when they capture them, what they do is they sit them down. And then Agent Pierce, who actually visited, the, act, the actor visited Lake Point about two years ago. Agent Pierce, he would sit them down and then he would torture them off the record. Apparently that's what they do. And they would scream this question at them. They, they would scream this question. Who sent you? Who are you working for? Where did you come from? And this passage is saying, with every thought that comes into your head, you need to sit it down and interrogate it like a war criminal. Who sent you? Where do you come from? Who, wh who are you working for? And listen, every time that happens, some of those thoughts in your head, they did not come from God. They came from the enemy. And those things need to be rejected. If you hold on to those things, they will leave. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy everything that you hold dear. And if you hold on to those thoughts, that's exactly where they will take you. But if it lines up with the word of God, then we're going to go, man, I'm going to hold on to that because even if I don't understand, I know that leads to abundant life in Christ. I'm in. So we got to learn to do that. We got to learn to do that. It's not enough just to know it. We have to subject every part of our thoughts and our lives to it. Number two, we have to interact with the word personally. Listen, listen, listen. This might be the most important part of the message for me. Just track with me. Guys, the scriptures are a living and active power that God wants you to encounter, okay? <laughs> like, I've spent a bunch of time in a whole bunch of different denominations, and I've noticed everybody describes the same things with different language. And it's like this encounter they have with God in the scriptures. So, like, if you're a Baptist person, Baptists, they say things like this. They'd be like, oh, man, that verse really convicted me. Presbyterians, they say this. They're like, oh man, I just experienced the illumination of the, you know, God gave me illumination into the scriptures today. Okay. If you're a, a charismatic or a Pentecostal person, you'd be like, I had a rhema word from God today. It was a rhema word. Okay. Everybody's just describing the fact that we encounter God personally. In this. It's like when you hear him, but you didn't hear him audibly, it was like louder than that. 
okay? Um, let me just read this quote. Rob Reimer says it like this. When the Spirit breathes on a word in Scripture, it stirs within you. I full screened this quote because I, I, it's really important to me you get it. When the Spirit breathes on a word in Scripture, it stirs within you. It leaps off the page at you, and this is the moment when God is coming near. This is the moment of divine breakthrough. This is the moment, if you'll let it, when the piercing of the heart can take place. The deep work of transformation can begin. Every time we pick up the Bible, we are one Holy Spirit breath away from the fresh encounter with the living God. Amen. Amen. Listen. Do you know why some of your Christian lives have become boring? Because somewhere along the way, the word of God just became a subject to study instead of a power to encounter. And you need to go back and be like, God, speak to me. Breathe on this word and change me. Number three, last one. We need to, in, we need to encounter the word consistently, okay? Consistently. Every day, day by day, gathering the, the, the bread, okay? There was a lady, it was actually in the lobby right out here, where I had, a, I had a member lunch. And there was a lady that after the lunch, she came up to me and she had these big, happy, hopeful eyes. And she grabbed me, she wanted to encourage me. And she referenced a sermon I preached way back in 2019. And where I encouraged people like, hey, don't go digital until you've spent time in the, in the Word, and uh, she grabbed me, this was real recently, and she said, Pastor Josh, I've read my Bible before going digital, before watching the news is what she said, 264 days in a row, and it's changed my life. And, uh, and how I responded, I was like, you did? I was like totally incredulous. You did? And she was like, well, well, yeah, you told me to. And I was like, yeah, but I didn't think anybody would actually do it. You know, I, I got well, well, listen, this is what she said. What does the Psalm say? Psalm 1, why, what does it say? Blessed is a man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on it he meditates day and night. Do you guys know what we tend to meditate on day and night? We tend to meditate on the beast, the false prophet, and the antichrist. That's Twitter, Facebook, and cable news. That's what we do. Uh, true story. Do you guys know why Fox News, listen, no, listen I'm not, just, no, I'm not even going to, I'm just going to say it. Do you guys know why Fox News has recently, why they had to switch to changing where their logo is on the screen? It's not in one spot anymore. They got to change it around. Do you know why? Because people are waking up every day at 7 a.m., turning it on and keeping it on one channel until like 11 p.m. And so that Fox News Chiron was literally getting burned into the screens of televisions. And so they had to start moving it around. Do you know how much your life would change if you were tuned into the Word of God as much as you were tuned into Fox, CNN, TikTok, or Twitter? Do you know what that would do? Okay, let me, um, so consistently now, let me just land the plane on, like, on it like this. So a couple months ago, I preached, it was simultaneously like the hardest and one of the most uh, fulfilling series I've ever preached. I preached this series called Thriving in Babylon through the book of Daniel. And there was one thing that I wanted to get into that series that I couldn't get in, and I'm getting it in now, okay? So every year at Christmas, you pull out your little nativity set, and there's these three dudes. Um, the song wrongly says, we three kings of Orient. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says they were, quote, magi from the east. That's all it says. These magi from the east, they come, and they come, and they find Jesus, and they kneel and they call him the king of the Jews. And they give him gold, frankincense, and myrrh. 
And uh, Bible scholars, like, you know, people have looked at it and like, who, who are these guys? <laughs> these random three dudes from the East. They just show up and they're like, you're the king of the Jews, okay? Who are these guys? Well, number one, Babylon was 700 miles directly to the east of Jesus' Jesus' hometown, where they found him. Um, Two, the only other book in the Bible that mentions Magi is the book of Daniel, when Daniel in Daniel chapter 4 was made, quote, the chief of the Magi. And he got over this group of magi and he started teaching them all of these prophecies about a coming Messiah. God actually gave him a prophecy in Daniel chapter 9, prophesying exactly when the Messiah would come. And he taught these guys this. And so watch this. For 600 years, those magi, they got this teaching from this word from this dude named Daniel. And they passed it down to their sons and their sons' sons and their grandsons' sons. And these magi that show up, they are the 600 years later descendants of those guys that got that word from Daniel. And they had been waiting for this guy that would come and establish a kingdom that would never end. And they found him and they fell on their feet and they worshiped him all the way from Babylon. Okay, now, some of you, some of you will make a decision to get into the Word of God and put yourself under good Bible teaching, and it could change 600 years of your family. And when the king shows up again, I hope there's people with your last name running and falling on their knees to greet him. And I want to pray that that would happen, that you would encounter a wonderful counselor. I want to pray that for you. And so, Father, first, I just want to pray for our church. I pray that we would always be a Bible-teaching church. No matter what happens, we will not be moved. We will not be intimidated. We will never veer from the living and active Word of God. Would you fix that in us as a church? But God, I pray for our families at Lake Point, for our people of Lake Point. And I pray that you would fix their feet on the solid rock of your unchanging Word. Heaven and earth will pass away, but your words will never pass away. And so Holy Spirit, would you, I'm just like specifically gonna ask you to do this. Would you breathe on the Word this week for our people? I pray that they would be opening up the scriptures early in the morning, cup of coffee, Bible on knees, and that they would get a fresh encounter with the living God and that you would begin to set captives free generation after generation after generation for the glory of Jesus. And I pray it in his crucified, risen name. Amen and amen. Amen, amen, amen. Thanks for listening today. For more biblical teaching and worship, Join us for our church online live weekend services on Saturdays at 5 p.m. and Sundays at 9.30 and 11 a.m. Central Standard Time. For more information about all the digital ministries of Lake Point, visit lakepoint.church/digital. digital.